You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 19. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures made for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast. Dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. All right, folks. We got another Q&A episode for you today, and I don't know what it is about this episode, but some of these questions are just fucking amazing. So our questions this go-around include uh, safety tips for your first threesome, if it's possible to find romance when you're dying, how to tell your husband of 19 years that he's gotten fat and ugly and you're no longer attracted to him, uh, a lacrosse player who's fucking his bigoted coach's son, what to do when your girlfriend steals your wife's dog for ransom, and more. Stick with us, guys. This episode's going to be great. So do we want to Do we want to start off by telling people about the stupidity that we just encountered? Yes. Okay. So I guess first you have to tell the story about what's going on with the house, and then I can tell the story about the stupidity. So right now we are, um, we've talked a lot about how our house is under construction. Our living room, which is partially living room, partially office, is under construction. So we've had to move everything out of there. And currently we have Josh's new desk set up with the microphones and everything. And we are podcasting from our bedroom. Which in some ways is nice because it's really quiet because our normal studio, if you want to call it that, our normal office space where we record is out. It's in the living room. Like we've got like a sunken in kind of entry place, which is where we have our desks and stuff. Uh, So it is nice with it being in the bedroom that it is actually, now that the people who were banging and sanding and everything are gone, it is actually fairly quiet. Uh, but, you know, that's about the only good thing you can say about having the office in the room. So I got a new desk, uh, which is like a standing desk, because I, I have one at work that I went in there in the middle of the night and built and stole parts from other desks to make, and the other desks I'm still waiting to fall over. And... Uh, and I was working off our kitchen counter, but our heat out there isn't fantastic. And now that it's getting to be winter, I mean, it was a little uncomfortable to begin with, but now it's just getting too cold really to work out there. So, uh, yeah, so I got a new desk and I came in, took all the podcasting stuff cause we had to yank it all out of the, the living room anyways, cause we were getting floors and stuff put in and I put it all on my desk and wired it all up and hit all the wires under the desk. And it was great. So we sit down to record, and it's the first time, you know, since uh, I we get moved in here and, and hooked everything up to the desk that we've powered everything up. And there's this really obnoxious buzzing sound coming from Cassie's mic. And we're like, okay, what is this buzzing sound? So we're like, okay, well, what if we switch, you know, we s- plug the mic into a different cable, and then it stops, but then we try hooking her up with a different cable, 
and then that it's still not working. And then we try swapping the mics out. Then we, we put another mic in and that's working, but then we take her mic over to my space and there's no buzz and we just cannot track this buzz down. It's this really obnoxious, uh, like power thing. So I go down under my desk, all this nice wiring I just put in there. I yank it all out to try and get the power lines away from the mic cords in case that's what it is. I have another hour of rerunning all the dozens of wires for our podcast stuff that I'm going to have to do that I'm really depressed about. And so we still can't figure it out. So finally, Cassie's mic is still buzzing and and we, we've tried like six or seven things that we can't figure out what's going on. And she tips the mic down and the sound goes away. And we're like, okay, is it the wire? So then we try it in mine and everything works fine. Then we try. So we, we, we can't figure it out. Finally, we realize I'm like, it must be something about where you're sitting because like we switch mics and my mic's doing the same thing where she's sitting and she's literally sitting three feet from where I'm sitting. And lo and behold, there's a chandelier over the desk that apparently is kicking out enough power to disrupt our podcasting equipment, but only if you're sitting where Cassie's sitting and only with the mic angled a certain direction. So we turn the chandelier off and we're now podcasting in mostly darkness and it worked just fine. I, I, and now I have to rerun all my wiring, man. What the fuck? Oh my God. I just did all that. These, these are the things that we go through for you folks because you're awesome and we love you. So speaking of how awesome people are, I think it's time to talk about how we have not been that awesome with a Q&A problem that we've had. So you guys are awesome and you send us in wonderful, amazing questions. And we just recently found out that the submission form for the Q&As, some of them, the way that they were coming through the website, were going into the nether. And we weren't receiving them because we didn't have it set up somehow for the emails to actually get to Here, It wasn't sending. So the funny thing is we have the submission form on our site and it doesn't get used very often. Generally, people call or they Facebook. Mostly we get a lot of our questions come from Facebook or from our emails. So the form does not get a lot of use. And we just realized that for the last little bit, maybe like the last month and a half, uh, the submissions that have been coming in through the form have just been sitting and nobody's been getting them because the notifications were turned off. So we're sorry. We we're, are. We're very sorry. It's been a while. So some of these questions have sat for a little bit. We feel really bad. <laughs> the good news is, is that the form now works correctly and now emails your questions to Cassie like it was supposed to. So that's good. But... Uh, so we're going to be going over some older questions, and you folks who sent those in, we apologize for the tech issues. That sucks. And we are going to be answering your questions. Our first question is from Barb, who's 31 years old from Indiana. What the fuck do I do with Christmas? I'm in a V relationship, and all of my family is doing dinner at my sister's house. She's hosting the family dinner and has declared that Christmas is just for family and their significant others only. She has stated that my boyfriend's wife is not welcome to go. She claims it is part of her religious beliefs and his wife will never be welcomed at her table, never is capitalized. So is only. I want to see the rest of my family. They are okay with our relationship, but I don't think it is a fair arrangement for my boyfriend's wife. What should I do? Oh, that's a hard one. 
Yeah, but it isn't actually. So it's funny. I, I see a lot of parallels between uh, what you're going through, Barb, and what I've gone through with Polly, with my family. Um, I actually came out to my family about being Polly years ago uh, because we were all trying to get together for Easter. And uh, our partner, we'd wanted to spend Easter with with our partner at the time. So that's when I first came out to my family. And I get a lot of these uh, very specific invites now and like very specific cards, like, you know, like like holiday cards and things like that. So I actually understand exactly where you're coming from. Yeah, and I think that a few things have to go into play. Um, If you can possibly visit with your family without your sister or do something else, maybe think of a way to do that if you're close to your sister is maybe having something before or after. Also considering if there is an opportunity for maybe just you to go for a little while and then do something with your partner and his wife later or having your partner go, but seeing if there's something that your partner's wife can do, but seeing what everyone's most comfortable with while also wanting to see your family, which is understandable because it is your family. Yeah. I mean, I can I can tell you how I've wound up dealing with it, which is uh, a couple ways that we've wound up dealing with. First off, I had the conversation with my family, my parents. I shouldn't say my par- my family. My, my family's actually very cool for the most part. Um, but my parents, I wound up having the conversation with a while back, like, look, you know, it's your house. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to bring people you're telling me not to bring. You're just not going to see me very much because I'm not splitting up and, you know, spending holiday away from, you know, my partner because you're bigoted. Uh, so I had that discussion a long time ago and I've stuck to that pretty much ever since. I mean, I occasionally on a holiday, depending on what's going on, might swing down for a minute or two if I'm on my way somewhere or something like that. But as a general rule, I really don't uh, holiday with my family anymore for specifically that reason. Um, it's kind of the consequence of of what they've done uh, or the decisions that they've made. Now, like I said, though, the rest of my family is cool. And we've kind of started talking about getting together outside of things. So we're actually having an ugly Christmas party here uh, in a few days. Um, so a couple of days before Christmas. And all the siblings are going to it. I have a significant number of siblings. And all the siblings are going to it. Uh, So we're all getting together there without my parents. Cassie and I have also started doing a lot of stuff at our house as well. Um, Although at this point in time, our house is kind of wrecked. But typically, we started doing a lot of holidays at our house because then we dictate who comes. Yeah, and that's something that you can't really control for this Christmas because Christmas is coming up pretty close. But maybe in the future, deciding whether or not you want to be a host and not necessarily having it be on your sister to make that decision or possibly a different family member who is not going to cause those kind of problems. Yeah, but I mean, as far as currently, I'd say you just have to decide if it is, uh, you know, if you want to spend Christmas with your boyfriend. And uh, granted, I, I don't think it would be very fair for you and your boyfriend to go off and spend Christmas and leave his wife, unless that's something she's okay with. Um, you know, you may have to decide to put your foot down on it. Um, and that's what I did. I, the conversation I had with my family was basically like, look, like if you were going to your parents' house and they told you, you couldn't bring your wife, uh, you wouldn't go. Uh, and it's the same thing for me. I'm not going to come. So you may have to decide that it's time to put your foot down and tell them exactly why you're not making it if you can't. 
Our next question is from Lucy, who is 27 years old and lives in Pennsylvania. And you guys, I'm so happy you guys are getting better at sending in your ages and where you live, and that's fantastic. Although some of that's probably because these are those, some of those form questions. But I suck at making the first move or even being remotely seductive. What do I do? It's ruining the sexual openness I want. Oh, man. I'm going to mostly let Cassie answer this question. I have a horrible track record of picking up on people who are flirting with me. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going I'm to let you start on this one, Cassie. I think the first thing is to kind of admit it, which you just did. Like, realize that you are bad at it. Like, that's the first step of, as to improving anything, is admitting that you have a problem. And next is to start making a conscious effort to do it. So it might not feel as natural and it might not feel as easy as just letting something just naturally happen, but to make a conscious effort to be flirtatious or be a little touchy and to do things that present that you are open sexually. Yeah, so I'm going to I'm going to say a couple things first off. So I've, this is something I've actually had to practice and I agree with Cassie that just working on it even when it doesn't feel natural is a good thing. Uh, the second thing is I don't know um you know what circles you run in. Um you're listening to our show, so there's a, a pretty good chance you're kinky. If you happen to be uh in your community involved and involved in your community, it is in my I, I for me personally, now I've spent basically my entire adult life in the kink community, but it is to me easier than uh, flirting or you know trying to seduce someone who is in the vanilla world because a lot of times you can just generally be very open about what you're looking for and you don't have to be all, uh, you know, double talking, you know, saying it without saying it. Like a lot of times you can just sit, like if you're talking to somebody and, you know, you, you know they're interested, you can just say what it is that you're interested in and be pretty uh, uh, pretty just flat out clear about it. And that tends to go pretty decently. Yeah, the king community versus vanilla community is, in vanilla community, I will say, you have really pretty hair and I might like to spend some time with you. In the king community, it's perfectly reasonable to say, you're hot, I'd like to stick things in you. What do you think? So... <laughs> community makes it a little easier to do that with. But also one of the things that you want to keep in mind, kink community, vanilla community, regardless, is being honest with people. Being like, I might be a little awkward, but I like you. I'm trying to flirt. It might seem kind of silly, but getting it out in the open actually does kind of get rid of some of those anxieties around it and then people know that that's what you're trying to do that you're trying to flirt versus just being weird and i've had a couple people do that with me and it does work it does it gets it, it makes you laugh it makes you chill out and it makes it kind of okay we're just being kind of silly and then it works out all right our next question is from steph from south carolina hey cassie and rigel i got your name right yes you did thank you i am 38 years old and i am dying literally I, is I was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer last year, and I have about another year or two years before I go. I'm kinky, and even with my diagnoses, I found plenty of play partners to get my heavy masochistic needs met. Like what? Are they going to kill me or something? Smiley face. Although, I have play partners. I want more. No one wants to die alone. 
I've recently discovered I'm okay with the idea of my future partner having another partner or partners. It's a comforting thought. Uh, I know this is a long shot, but do you two think being open to a poly relationship would help open opportunities for me to find a romantic partner before I die? Oof. <laughs> That's kind of heavy, but I'm really happy that she's got a good sense of humor and is at least trying to be happy even with the negative that yeah yeah more more than having the good sense of humor about it i think it's great that you're trying to enjoy you know the time that you have and trying to have relationships and trying to be happy i think that's great so to answer your question and you know we always we always like to bring the truth for these i think it's probably going to be difficult to find romantic partners and i say difficult not impossible um i do think you'll probably have a much easier time finding play partners I think that it's going to be more difficult to find a romantic partner because you got to find somebody who's willing to go into that relationship, you know, knowing. And I mean, we all we all always have that possibility, but knowing that that is they've only got a year or two. And I think it takes a special kind of person uh, who's willing to do that. Um, but I do think they're out there. Um, and I do think, you know, that you can find somebody. And I do think, yes, certainly that you being open to a poly relationship uh, is going to make it easier to find somebody because, you know, they're they're not losing everything when you do go. Yeah, I think maybe being a, for lack of better terminology, like a secondary or something like that with someone who has other pre-existing partners who will have people that they can use as support people would probably make it easier for someone to be willing to have a relationship where they know a partner is going to, in not a very long period of time, pass. Yeah. So I do think it's possible. Um, I, I do think that poly is a good path. Do you have any ideas on the more practical end? I mean, she didn't really ask how, but do you have any ideas on the more practical end of it? I think on the practical end, if you're doing like online dating, things like that, it might be one of those things that you want to be very honest about and not necessarily in your profile. Like you don't want to be like, I'm dying. This is my profile. But a initial conversation that you're having with somebody on a first date, something like that. I'd say right? once you actually get out. Yeah. Once you get out and you're face to face with somebody. So that way you don't waste time on someone who is, you know, a third or fourth or fifth date who's going to skip out as soon as they hear the news. Um, so being honest up front and also looking more in your poly circles, looking for people who say, I've got a, I already got a primary. I'm just looking for, you know, a secondary partner that I see a few times a month, et cetera, et cetera. Um, someone who might already be partnered, but no, is looking for I don't for think other it needs partners. to be somebody who only sees her a couple times a month though. I, I'm, or maybe I'm even saying, a secondary, I, but I do think it's, it's going to be somebody who's going to want another partner that they know yeah. that they have that to fall back on. I was saying more from the thought process of someone who already has another partner. I wouldn't necessarily recommend looking for someone who doesn't have any partners right now. I think that's going to be a difficult thing as far as finding someone who's going to want to be coming into a relationship as a person who doesn't have any other partners. So I uh, actually have quite a bit of experience talking to people about uh, loved ones dying in my day job. And I know this isn't the same thing, um, but I'm going to speak with the experience that I do have. And I found that there is no easy way to have uh, a conversation like that with people. So I'm not sure there's going to be a cutesy way to say it. 
you know, when you do get out on that first date, you know, I, I think it's just going to be a blunt, honest conversation. Like, look, I like you a lot. Here's what's going on with me. Here's what I'm looking for. Here's what I'm open to. Is that something that you might be interested in seeing where it goes and going from there? Our next question is from Darling, who is 41 years old from Maryland. I am not physically attracted to my husband of 19 years. He went on disability and let himself go. He's out of shape, overweight, and doesn't even get out of his PJs. How do I handle this? You can't just tell your husband that he's fat and ugly. I love the honesty. I appreciate the honesty. Woo. Um, okay. She is saying, look, no, no, not woo. She is saying what a lot of people are thinking and don't know how to say it in a way that's going to be productive. I mean, let's just be honest. How many people are in long-term relationships and they're no longer attracted to their partner and they don't know how to say it in a way that's going to be productive? I think a lot. Yeah, I think that's very true. I think there's a lot of people who do not speak their mind in regards to whatever it is about their partner that they're finding less attractive. Looks, habits, whatever. Yeah, so, you know, and I, I think I think a lot of people would jump on your case about this and like, oh, you know, it's your husband. How can you? And I think those people would be lying because, you know, the fact of the matter is you can be in love with somebody and just because you're in love with them doesn't necessarily mean that you're attracted to them at this point. Um, hopefully you were at some point, but it doesn't mean that you are now. And, you know, call me shallow, but I think that being attracted to somebody is important because attraction is a big part of your sexual compatibility with somebody. And sexual compatibility is a big part of your overall relationship compatibility. And I, I, I hate when people are like, oh, you're shallow and you're, you know. Well, I think it's funny because we get all hyper over these things. And we think it's perfectly reasonable. For example, if I said, I need to talk to my partner because I'm no longer happy with the way they talk to me. Everybody would be like, yes, yes, yes. Because that makes me not happy in my relationship. And then you bring it to sex and you say, I'm not happy with my the way my partner performs in bed. And they're like, yeah, you should probably talk to them about it. And then you talk about looks and people suddenly are like, how dare you? But it's really all the same thing. It's this idea of if you're in a partnership, you should be able to be honest with your partner. And the answer from your partner might be, fuck you, I don't care, be unattractive, and then you're going to have to make a, a decision there about that. But you should be able to go to your partner and present them with things that you're unhappy with. So I actually think this is a really interesting question because I have seen two ways of talking about how to go about this. And I'm really curious to get your opinion, Cassie. So the, the two ways I've seen is one, flat out be honest, say, look, I'm not attracted to you at this point. Here's what I'm not attracted to. What can we do about this? Then I've seen other people who say, look, you can't tell your partner. It, it does no good to tell your partner that they're overweight, right? Because they already know they're overweight, and they're already not doing anything about it. And that's just going to hurt their feelings and be completely unproductive. And you're better off, you know, trying to kind of slide in and, and get them to do things that are going to be helpful with that without being like, hey, I want you to do this because you're overweight. So like, hey, you know, I'm going to start going to the gym and I'd be really interested if you'd go to the gym with me or something like that. Like I need a partner, like I need somebody to come support me or I'm not going to go. 
What is your opinion on that? Because I've, I've heard people who are very strongly on both sides of that conversation, especially when it comes to talking about like weight and things like that. I think it's a step one and a step two, not an either or. So I think the first step is seeing, are you first off contributing to the problem? So if you're not happy that your partner's overweight, are you sending them cookies every day for lunch? So seeing what kind of things are your responsibility, right? Like if you cook the food, maybe changing that up. If you always want to stay home and spend time cuddling in bed and never getting out and doing something, are you contributing to how your partner looks? I think that's the first step. The second step is trying to possibly make life changes that would help affect your partner. And then if those things aren't working, if you're doing the cooking and you're making sure that food is packed right and they're still picking up lunch at Burger King every day, or you're trying to do lifestyle changes and inviting them to go to the gym or inviting them to go on hikes or whatever, and they're refusing to go, then the third step is to be honest in, a, in not a mean way. Don't be nasty about it, but say, this is what I'm not attracted to. So I think it's more of a one, two, three than a one or the other. And I think the very first step is seeing how you're how you might be contributing to the problem. All right. Our next question is from Wilson. He is 36 years old from Maryland. How, or should we even, verify that metamores are okay with their partners having open relationships? My partner just got a pretty flipped out message from the wife of a man she's played with in the past when they were trying to get together. And my partner was surprised because supposedly everyone was on the same page and was okay with the situation. So apparently uh, his, his part, Wilson's partner is trying to hook up with his dude he's hooked up with before, who's supposed to be in an open relationship. And somehow his wife gets the message that she's sending is like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, that's what I gathered from that. Okay. Uh, how or should we verify? Cassie. Okay. So before answering that, what I'm going to say is your, your partner's partner is not your responsibility. That is the first thing I will say. You are not responsible for making sure that someone's metamore, that your metamore knows about you. That's not your responsibility. Now that is the, one of those, and I like to talk about the ideal versus the reality. That is one of those ideal standpoints. It is not your responsibility. Now, practically. I was getting to that, which is you are not responsible. The person that you're dating, their partners should be informed about things from their partner. That being said, ideally, you know, that would be the way it would work. Realistically, I always think it's a good idea to ask to at least chat with your partner's partners, uh, be introduced. It doesn't have to be like a sit down formal dinner, but a meet and greet as you pass, you know, by or swing in to pick somebody up, but some way that you can interact with this person to know that they know that you exist. Yeah, it's it's a good way to not have somebody show up at your door with a shotgun three months down the road. Yeah. So practically, yes, you should probably meet them. You don't have to be friends. That's what we say all the time. You don't have to be friends with them, uh, but it is good to, uh, A, you know, know that they're actually okay with it, and B, to be at least civil with them so you can, you know, maybe provide some work together to provide support to that partner if if it's needed. And I'm not going to say that this is always the case. Are there those partners that absolutely do not want to know that there are anything about their partner's partners? Yes. But 90% uh, of the time that I hear that, it is someone who is hiding that they are having other partners. Yeah. A don't ask, don't tell is a no-go for us. 
Yeah. Because that is almost always, not always, but almost always one of the situations where it's like, well, yeah, we're poly. They just don't know it. All right. Our next question is for Nathan. He is 21 years old and he's from Vermont. I just came out as gay non-binary in September to some of my family and friends. I play lacrosse at the college I attend, and this week the coach said the team doesn't need any fags and that gay men don't belong in the locker room. Wow, I hadn't read this yet. This keeps getting better. I am also currently sleeping with my coach's son, (laughs) who is on the same team. My coach doesn't know uh, that I'm gay or that his son is. I am certain now that... I have let that cat out of the bag, and I'm sure he will hear the news eventually. Do I need to disclose my sexuality? Is there a possibility I could lose my scholarship if my sexuality is revealed without me informing others? This is an amazing question for so many reasons. (laughs) So I'm going to start with the question of do you need to disclose your sexuality? And I think the answer to that is no. Yeah, I don't really think there's any necessity for you to come out to your coach. Yeah. And as far as talking about the scholarship and particularly losing it, I think that I don't see any way that you would be able to lose a scholarship for coming out. Um, And honestly, I, I don't think at this point in the world, there's any way that you could legally lose your scholarship for being gay, period. Yeah. I think his concern was if he didn't disclose it and then it later came out if he could lose his scholarship over not being honest about it. And I don't really think that's even a problem. Yeah. I mean, unless there's a question somewhere on the paperwork that you had to fill out for the scholarship that said, are you gay? But, you know, obviously they couldn't ask you that question. So on, 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 on any kind of paperwork for a scholarship, So uh, I honestly don't see how you could legally lose a scholarship. Now, obviously, if your coach is very opinionated against gays and also he realizes that you're sleeping with his son, could he make problems and try and cause issues with your scholarship? Yes. And then that would be the point at which you, if that happened, would have to, uh, you know, possibly file a complaint or get like the NCSF or Lombada Legal or the ACLU or uh, HRC, or one of those organizations involved to fight for you on your behalf. Yeah, and I think that's really, you're not going to know what he's going to try to do until that happens, but you don't have to disclose anything at this point. It may be a good idea to document, uh, you know, anything that happens like this, where your coach is saying bad things and stuff like that. So that later on, if it is a problem, you have some kind of prior documentation that you can take forward. I don't think that would be a bad idea. So I don't think there's any requirement for you to disclose it or any risk to your scholarship. Now, whether or not you want to disclose it is completely up to you. I mean, I do think you definitely have some warning signs already as to how well that would go uh, lacrosse-wise if you were to do that. So, you know, you, you have to weigh that and weigh everything else when you make that decision. Sleeping with the bigoted coach's <laughs> coach's son. Oh, oh. <laughs> look, he might not be doing that on purpose, but I know a lot of people who would do that on purpose. <laughs> so great. All right. Our next question is from Derek, 24 years old from Washington. My girl, her friend, and I are planning our first threesome. 
Congratulations. Woohoo! What should I be doing as far as condom usage in a two girls, a one guy threesome? Should I be changing it with both girls every single time? Yes. Um, if the two girls are not fluid bonded, meaning they're not trying to exchange fluids, you should be changing what you're wearing in between both girls. Because if you don't, then you're putting one person's fluids inside of another person. So I think what you should do is have a conversation around what types of fluids are okay to be swapped and exchanged versus what is not. And if it is something where nobody is trying to swap fluids, then you need to be switching out your condom in between people. Yeah. My, my first answer to this would be, uh, what's everybody okay with? But I'm going to take it in the way it was it was offered, which sounds like you guys are trying to avoid fluid bonding. So then, yeah, definitely you need to be changing condoms uh, every time you switch partners. Um, you know, you also can consider dental dams. Um, you can also consider using condoms for oral sex that you're getting, either from uh, one person or both people. So those are all things to keep in mind. Other thing, I'm going to get into something that may be a little less on your mind than condoms is uh, fingering. So there's a couple ways to go about this. Cassie's making faces at me because had something happen with this before that I talked about in a previous episode. But uh, there's there's a couple ways to go about this. If you are a super awesome sex ninja like Cassie, you can just reserve one hand for each girl. If you're a su super awesome sex ninja, you can actually keep that straight in the middle of sex. I can't. Most people can't. So if you are one of those people who can't, easiest thing to do is just to wear gloves with the person you're not fluid bonded with, even if you're not worried uh, about, you know, that level of protection where you would, would wear gloves with her normally, wearing gloves then gives you a very good indicator later that you're supposed to take it back off. It's very easy to remember what you've used that hand for when you have a glove on. So that's a great uh tool in multi-partner situations, even if they may not care if you wear gloves if you finger them, and you may not care if you wear gloves when you finger them, just to keep track of what hand you've done what with. Yeah. And if you're trying to do things with separate hands, having the one hand that's always gloved versus the hand that isn't gloved, you automatically know what hand goes to what vagina. One more thing as far as gloves, and I've said this before, and I'm speaking from personal experience on this, which is uh, if you do... Finger a chick with gloves. Just keep in mind later where you are putting that hand that somebody else might put like their mouth. Uh, so, you know, you grab the pussy with the glove, you grab the boob, and then you or your girl put your mouth on the boob. Uh, you're now fluid bonded. And speaking from personal experience, stuff can happen that way. So just something to keep in mind while you're doing it. So, but congratulations and good luck with your first threesome. Have fun. Our last question is from Brax, 32 years old, from California. I have three partners, my wife of eight years, my girlfriend of two years, and my boyfriend of four years. My girlfriend and I are on the verge of a breakup, and it's getting ugly. She's been telling lies, has gotten physical with the three of us, and has stolen my wife's dog for ransom and would not give it back unless I talked to her in person. I'm still trying to make things work, but the problems are starting to roll over into my other relationships. So when one of your poly relationships is going to shit, how do you keep the baggage of one relationship from interfering with another? So I think there's kind of 
two separate issues here. Why don't I talk about one and then I'll let you talk about the other. So there's the issue of how do you keep the baggage from rolling, interfering in your other relationships? And I'm gonna let Cassie answer that, but personally, I don't actually think that's the right question here. I think the right question here is do you just need to cut this person out of your life entirely? And when you say she's telling lies, uh, okay, that's not good. Uh, she's gotten physical with the three of us. That's really bad. And she's stolen my wife's dog for ransom. And that's just kind of going off into, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's a bridge good. too far. I mean, going physical is, is quite honestly way a bridge too far. But for some reason, the, the stealing the dog for ransom to me is even just, I know it's not actually more serious, but for some reason, my head feels alarm bells somewhat even more so with that. Uh, so I, I think the first question you need to ask yourself isn't how do I keep this from rolling over into my other relationships? It's, is this a toxic person that I need to just completely cut out of my life? And keeping in mind that this could have been a person who was fantastic before you've broken up and could become toxic because you're breaking up and could just be toxic in that environment. Still, uh, my first suggestion would be just based on what you said here with no other background is you might just need to cut this person out. Yeah. Um, so all the advice that I can give you as far as not having your one relationship overlap into another one and, and bring baggage into another one is around boundaries, like establishing boundaries, how you guys communicate, maybe making sure that this partner doesn't um, come to your home if you share a home with your other partners. And this is all based around the idea of working with that partner to have boundaries and understandings around them. However, yeah. if she stole your wife's yeah. dog. If she's stealing your wife's dog and getting physical with your partners, there isn't really anything you can do to keep it from spilling over. Like that's the kind of answer that works with a reasonable, emotionally adjusted person. Uh, you know, is setting boundaries and like, but but you're not in that scenario right now. So honestly, uh, there is no advice we can give you that's going to keep it from spilling over when she comes and steals your wife's dog. So I think the right question is you need to be thinking about if you need to cut this person out of your life entirely. All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in again. But before we let you go, I wanted to tell you a little bit about our New Year's Eve party that we're having in Baltimore. It's the Panic at the Playhouse. We'll be bringing in 2018 with a bunch of kinky fun. We have a bunch of demos, everything from a interrogation demo to a needle play demo to a suspension demo where if you come and you decide that you want to do hook suspension and try it out, uh, we'll be taking some volunteers. And we'll also be having uh, DJ Diesel out, who is fantastic to be spinning all night. So if you want to bring in 2018 with a sex-positive kinky play party, check out the link. We'll have it in the show notes. Yep, and the show notes are going to be at atouchofflavor.com forward slash 019. And who's doing the interrogation? Mr. Black. Oh, man, it's not us. Yeah. Cool. Well, Mr. Black is awesome. You guys should come out. I guess it would be a bad idea for us to do it at our own party. You guys should come out and see it. That'll be awesome. And we have a poly speed dating that is Saul themed. So if you want to come out what? and uh, find somebody to play with for the night or a new partner, come on out and we'll be having the uh, speed dating Saul style.
Man, so I guess you guys can't tell. I don't really plan the events because uh, I have a lot to do with the podcast and the webinars and everything. But that is awesome. I'm learning some of this stuff for the first time myself. So you guys should definitely come out and join us for that. So again, check out the link, atouchofflavor.com forward slash 019 for the show notes. And we will have the link right in there for you. Don't wait till the last minute, though. You can get the tickets online and the prices increase at the door. So you should get them now at touchofflavor.com forward slash 019. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask, or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1. Fuck, man, serious. From the chandelier. From the chandelier. I'm so mad that I pulled all those wires out from under my You're going to be okay. I'm not. You will be fine. It'll give you another excuse to play with this desk. This sexy, sexy desk. And I enjoy playing with the desks. I think you're misunderstanding the problem. It's the wires I don't enjoy playing with that are under the desk. And because all the podcasting stuff now runs on this desk, which is great because your desk was a fucking rat's nest of wires because you didn't have any way to run them. And basically, they just all sat on top of the desk. But uh, there's lots of wires under this desk. Don't talk about my desk that way. She has done her job. She has worked very hard to try to please us. Yeah, yeah, she did a really bad job of organizing wires, and I don't know why it hurts your feelings to say that. Because she's old. You can't make fun of the old desk. I, I, <clears throat> pretty sure I just did number one. That's not nice. Uh, number two. That's not nice. She wasn't ready for all this new technology. She's an old desk. She's like an antique desk. She doesn't understand wires. Yeah, well, speaking of old, her little leg came off. You broke her leg when you moved her? How could you? Her little leg came off. (laughs) The leg of my desk is off? Uh, Well, not the leg. I shouldn't say the leg. The trim that is on the the leg. leg. Uh, 